Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's time for another episode of Gibbles Corner, and we'll get into that show in just a moment. But this is an episode we want you guys to get involved with, as you'll hear in just a moment. John is going to talk us through his favourite Newcastle United goals. He's picked 10, and we want you guys to order his 10 and see if you agree with him. So in the podcast notes through your podcast provider, you will see a form and that will take you through to our website and you simply order John's top 10 list to your preference. Click submit and we'll tally up the results in a couple of weeks once all the votes have been collected. Really looking forward to seeing if you agree with John's list. Now we'll get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It's time for another episode of Give Us Corner and this week we're doing something slightly different. I've asked John to name his top 10 favourite Newcastle United goals, the top 10 best Newcastle United goals that he's seen over his long career. It's taken a while to get the top 10 down on paper, but the list is something special. We're not going to reveal it straight away. We're going to count down from 10 to 1, and then we want you guys on social media, on the email to, to get to us and tell us your choices to debate John's choices and we're going to tell a few stories about the goal scorers as well as look back on these fantastic goals for Newcastle United. Before we start with number 10, John, mm. let's just explain to the listeners how difficult this was to get a list of just 10. Oh, hugely. I mean, you could pick 10 Supermac goals, you could pick 10 Shearer goals, you could pick 10 Jackie Milburn goals, and that's just three of the great number nines. You've got Peter Beardsley and everybody else after that. Um so it is very, very difficult, but it's wonderful. It's what f- football's about, what it is about for fans, and that's what I am, and that's what you are, uh, basically. I mean, goals are the lifeblood of football. If there wasn't goals, there wouldn't be football. We wouldn't go and watch nil-nils every week. we go on the hope of seeing f- some goals, and when they're quality goals, it's something extra special. And there can be quality two ways, Andrew. There can be quality because of the sheer... Uh, audacity in scale of the goal itself and there can be classic goals because of the importance of them the occasion what it did for Newcastle United won them a trophy or put them in the next round of a cup or whatever so you've got to balance one against the other and I've tried to do it whereby each goal scorer is only in once because as I say you could make uh, 10 Alan Shearer goals or, or, or 10 goals by Les Ferdinand or by anyone like that. So I've tried to say, right, you're in the top 10, you can't be in twice. Yes, and then you've mentioned there a goal that perhaps won you won Newcastle United a cup and that's where we're going to start. Yep. Number 10, uh, just tell our listeners what the first one is. Yeah, in 10th place, I've got Bob Moncur, the European Fairs Cup final. But it's interesting, it's the second leg, because of course he scored two in the first leg, and then he scored in the second leg in Budapest. Uh, In terms of importance, and that isn't the only reason I've chosen it, but in terms of importance, it was huge, because it turned the whole tie. At that stage, 
Newcastle, who had had both hands on the cup at St James's Park when they won the first leg 3-0, had it actually wrenched out the hand almost in the second leg by half-time. We were 2-0 down, it was 3-2 on aggregate. The game was only going in one direction and that was against us. Willie McFall had been absolutely outstanding uh, throughout the 45 minutes in Budapest and yet had been beaten twice. I I was so stunned when half-time come. I was sitting next to Len Schack, who was my great mate, the old clown prince of soccer, who was a newspaper man of so-called in those days. He was always an ex-footballer, more than a newspaper man, I feel, because what a player he was and what a funny, amusing guy. And he was sitting next to me. And we were so stunned, we didn't go down at half-time uh, into the press room for... Uh, a cup of tea or anything. We just sat in our seats and he looked at me and the ground was bouncing with Rouge Best fans thinking this is going to be one of the most romantic wins. 3-0 down and we're going to win 4-3 on aggregate at home. Uh, and he just said, Gibbo, how, how are we going to explain this when we get home? We're not going to win this. And how are we going to explain it? We were 3-0 up when we come out here and yet, yet we don't win the cup. And it really, really looked like that. And as we know, it was the famous uh, speech in the dressing room from Joe Harvey because the players felt like that. The players thought they were beaten. And Joe Harvey's famous speech, this lot, will, uh, they've got no bottle, they'll fold. You just score a goal and they'll fold. It's like pricking a balloon. So you just go out and do it. Um and funny enough, you know, Newcastle at that stage didn't need a tactical talk. It wasn't about tactics. It was about belief in blood and thunder. And Joe just set the right tone. And Bob Moncur, who was his skipper, was the one that responded um, yeah. with this goal. Definitely. And, what, and what's funny about it is we've got a, a documentary that's been out a few months now about Joe Harvey's career and Gabriel features in it. And Bob Moncur does in it. A big part of that documentary is about that team talk at half time that John's mentioned there. And you get the feeling when you listen to Bob telling the story that the players were really, really deflated. I mean, not just a little bit oh. down. They were down and out. You know, Bob talks about how he questions Joe and says, what are you on about? No problem. We can't even get across the halfway line. So then to come out and within the first few minutes or so, to, sure. to get a goal, I mean, that is a, an amazing sense of character. I think if, we're, if we hadn't done that, we would have got swamped. If we hadn't scored straight away, we would have been swamped. Because everybody had told us what a great side these were. Bill Shankly said we had no chance. Jock Steen at Celtic said we had no chance. Don Revy, the Leeds manager, said we had no chance. Leeds won the title that season and only lost two league games all season in becoming the English champions, yet they'd lost home and away against Uzpestoza in the FA's Cup. That's how good Uzpestoza were. And if we hadn't had that immediate response, uh, we would never have won what is still our only European trophy and still the last trophy we won. And it was typical that it was Moncur. I mean, Bob... He used to play sweeper behind the centre-half, as it was instead of two centre-backs in those days. He played behind the centre-half, so he spent most of the match standing on Willie McFall's toes. And then he scores three goals in the final. He never normally gets over the halfway line. He scores a hat-trick in the final. And he was built in the image of Joe Harvey. He looked like Joe looked when Joe was young. Craggy, black hair, stubble when he was playing... Um, big, desperate Dan sort of guy that barked out commands to the players. And um, it was 
a corner we we got a corner and uh, bob went up and wouldn't necessarily normally do that the this the orthodox center half used so to he go wouldn't up. he wouldn't normally go for for no, header no, or no you got you the center half went up and bob was the one that stood god on our goal for any breakaways but um when you've scored two in the in the uh, first leg of the final um, and you think I'll go up, the tide's got to be turned, nobody's going to tell Bob, no, you don't, because we need some inspiration somewhere. And the, the ball was played into the into the box. Uh, the keeper come, punched the ball out. Sinclair picked it up again, put it back into the box. And Bob, who was just inside the box, just swiveled it and volleyed it uh, with his left boot, and it just scorched in the top of the goal. I mean, Bob, who was a, a very, very good golfer and has been obsessed with golf all his life, just said it was like hitting a perfect iron shot on the on the golf course. And it was. It was as sweet as a nut. And you know what? Joe was right. The minute the ball hit their net, they pricked like a balloon. They just popped from being 3-2 on aggregate and in the ascendancy... We are suddenly 4-2, um, and they just popped. They just deflated. You could see the air just disappear out of each body, and they all become three inches smaller. And the whole match was changed. We went on. Benny Antov scored. Foggen got the winner on the night. But it was a 6-2 aggregate, which looked so easy. Now, when you look back on that, Newcastle won the Cup 6-2 on aggregate. You think, what a... What a stroll in the park that was. Not so. Not so by any chance. And this goal, not only was it sweet as a nut, but this won us the cup. Without that goal scored by Bob, we wouldn't have got the cup. And by the way, you would pay £50 million now for a centre-forward that could finish the way Bob finished in that match because that was a quality finish. And he caught it sweet as a nut. And I think... Out of the three goals he scored for a hat trick over the two leg final, that was it. That was the best goal of the three as well. Mm, it was a lovely, lovely finish. You can find it on YouTube. You can watch the highlights of that final. And as John mentions, there you can see just how deflated the players do become, the opposition become after Bob scores that goal. It is um, an amazing contrast to the first half of highlights. I do recommend you taking a watch. We'll go on to number nine then. We're fast forwarding. Uh, from 1969, quite a bit forward, and it is Chick Teoti against yes. Arsenal. And in many ways, John, a bit similar to, to Bob, he didn't score many goals, but the goals he did seem to score either were brilliant or very important. He he was an amazing guy. It's the only goal he scored for Newcastle. Yeah. The only goal he scored for Newcastle. Now, if you're going to do that, this is the way to do it. And bless him, we, we remember him with so much affection, don't we? And what a tragedy what happened to him in the end. But... It was a phenomenal game. I mean, we were playing Arsenal. It was Wenger's Arsenal, which is a little bit different from the Arsenals that have followed since. Uh, and we were 4-0 down by half-time and lucky to get nil. Um, we, it was embarrassing. It was on the verge of being humiliating. And I've told the story before, and I think on a podcast, I was sitting watching the game with Supermax, and it was Supermax's two old clubs, of course, Arsenal and Newcastle. And he wasn't working... Uh, he was there as a fan, if you like, and as a chronicle columnist and as a number nine legend. And when we went down at half-time into the press room and got a cup of tea, he said, Gibbo, you know what? He said, 
I can't take this. It's, it shows you, by the way, that he was a fan of Newcastle, not Arsenal, although both of them were his clubs. He said, I can't take this. It's absolutely humiliating. Uh, I've squirmed all the first half. He said, I'll tell you what, I'm away. I said, you what? He says, oh, I'm off. I can't. He, he must have thought it was going to be 8-0 by the, the, the finish. And he went, he, he went out to St. James' Park, got in his car and started driving down the coast, which is where he lives. And what happens? It's uh, Newcastle 4, Arsenal 4, the final whistle. And I, I phoned up Supermark afterwards and said, ah, did you enjoy your early teammate when he got... He said, I couldn't believe it. He said, I, I put the radio on for while I was driving. And it went 4-1. I thought, 4-2, oh, a bit of respectability. 4-3, and he thought, God, should I turn the car around and go back? Like, And realised he wouldn't get back in time anyway. And 4-4. Four, four. And... Um, I mean, the goal, this, you could feel the excitement, and it went like that within St. James's Park. The first one was just a sort of, oh, well, that's a consolation, and the second one was the scoreline's a bit more respectable. The third one was quite me, but we're still not expecting an end. 4-4. I mean, phenomenal. And, um, I mean, that goal was such a good goal. It was a Joy Barton free kick, which you can probably remember, half cleared to Tioti. Now the box was packed. It, it was like a, opening a can of sardines and looking in the, this, the, the can. It was just packed. And he caught it sweet as, an, as Monks did, but Monks was a volley and this was a drive. But he caught it sweet as a nut and it flew. <laughs> Excuse me. It didn't even ricochet. It flew straight as an hour. Bang! In the back of the net. And he took off, if you remember. Uh, and he ran from the Gallagher end, where he scored, right up to the Leeser's end. And Harper come rushing out the goal and dived on top of him. And I think Harps did his, his hamstring in the celebration uh, by jumping on Toyota. And um, it was a fabulous, fabulous comeback for Newcastle. And if it's going to be... And it was against quality. That was a good thing. It wasn't sort of... We weren't playing Cambridge in a cup. This was against Arsenal in a Wenger Arsenal side. And it was against quality. And Tyrod is such an honest-to-goodness footballer. Such a caring footballer. Such devoted to actually playing the game and enjoying the game. That you, you felt from him and you, you thought, if I wanted anybody to do that, it's okay if it's checked. It's okay by me. And um, that was his only goal he ever got for us. And if he needs a monument, because supporters always adored him, regardless of what happened to him eventually, which was an absolute tragedy. But if he needed a monument to his memory, there's not a better monument than that goal. I always wonder what goes through a player's mind at that moment the ball's dropping towards him. Because in, in this list, we've got you know similar goals, people hitting ones on the volley. But they come from players of quality who you know, you know, maybe eight out of the ten, it's probably going to end up in the yeah. back of the net. But Tioti, no disrespect, he probably knew he wasn't the best striker in the world. You know, he couldn't really hit he a ball towards be. goal. Scored for us. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So at that moment, it's dropping. I, I always wonder when I see it, what is he? What is he thinking here? Because in his head or in the fans' heads, you must be thinking, well, that's that's going in the Gallagher, or that's going that's going over yeah. St. Nicholas's well, Cathedral. The first two goals albeit at the bottom end, 10 and 9, in this list, aren't scored by attackers, 
never mind centre forwards, never mind that they're not number nines. They're not scored by attackers, a defensive midfield player and, and a sweeper. Um, I think if you're Toyota and the ball's coming to you like that, and the penalty area is packed, and we were on the crescendo, crest of a wave at the time, you just think, smack it as clean as I can. It could ricochet three times off three outstretched legs and go in the opposite corner to where you're shooting. Anything can happen. Smack it. It's no good bringing it down trying to dribble. He hasn't got that ability, and also the penalty area is full of sharks. It is really packed. So get it down, smack it. And, and that's what he did. And for this once, it was sweet, is it not? Absolutely brilliant. One of my favourite Newcastle United goals. Now, the next one in the list, John, number eight, is very, very different to the first two. Yes. And it is just one of those goals when every time we watch it, or I watch it, I think the fans watch it, we are left scratching our heads to just how it happened. And it is Hatton Ben Arthur against Blackburn Rovers. Just explain why it's in the list. Yeah, in the FA Cup third round 2012. Hatton Ben Arthur, I both adore and infuriates me. Uh, in both in equal measure. Um, I've always been a romantic about football. That's why I love football so much. I love the romance of it, the, the, the cup wins. I love the, the gladiators or the uh, class guys rather than I accept you need rank and file, you need honest grafters, etc., etc., but if I go to the Theatre Royal, I go to see the stage lit up by a star. I don't go to see the guy in the background that sings in the chorus. And um, Hatton Ben Arthur had so much talent, so much ability, and yet he needed, he needed to give his head a wobble because he is still playing now, but uh, obviously well past his sell-by date. His career is virtually over. His top-class career is over. And I just wonder what he thinks. You know, you wonder what people think like when the ball's coming down and they defend it and I smack it and it should be at the top of the stand and it goes in the back of the net. I wonder what he thinks when he looks at his career because on ability, he should have been a Newcastle United legend and possibly a French legend. That is the sort of ability he had. But with some players I've found through all the years that I've been reporting and following the game, there is certain players that when they are so gifted and it comes so easily, they, they don't necessarily have the determination to sweat and put in the hours and make the best of what they have. It just comes natural. They just go out to play and play off the cuff. And if it works one day, they're sensational. And if it doesn't and they have a bad day, well, they know it'll work the next day. And Adam Ben Arthur was, was one of those players. I mean... In this particular game, we were a goal down with 70 minutes gone. 70 minutes gone. He picked up the ball 10 yards inside of the, the Blackburn half. Now, in a shimmy, in a run, it was an individual goal. He beat four players. He went round four players. Not knocking it off and getting the return after running past them. He went up to them and round them with the ball. Four players... Finishing up with the poor left-back, who I always remember, Martin Olsen, the Blackburn left-back, made an absolute fool of him. I mean, Olsen must wake up now, all these years later, uh, having nightmares, if he ever remembers what happened to him that day. And he thumped the ball from an impossible angle, left foot, 
high over the goalkeeper lad called uh, Mark Bunn uh, from an angle where he had no right to get in and he wasn't it wasn't a cross it wasn't a he turned and he shot and it was in and it was absolutely stupendous I always remember uh, Gutierrez afterwards who got the winner after that goal Gutierrez scored the winner in the dying seconds and he said that Adam's goal reminded him of Diego Maradona when he scored against England in 1986. Not the hand of God goal, I might add, but the one where he shimmied past four people, including Peter Reid, the Sunderland manager. Some cynics might say it was poor defending. I Some cynics might. Um, I wouldn't, because when somebody is as quality as that, and he goes on the run and gets it right, he will do any defender. You just don't want to be in the road. Please do not let me be standing between him and the goal because he's going to make a fool of me. I don't think it was poor defending. I think to do that is to have no romance in your soul. If, if, if you believe in all that's good in football, you've got to say that an artist is an artist, not that an artist is lucky. Now, we saw it happen again, very similar yeah. circumstances Bold against Bolton Wanderers. And you've mentioned there the frustration when it comes to Hatton Ben Arthur, the fact he never really reached the heights, not on a consistent basis anyway. He didn't. Would you trade one of those goals in to see him score 10, 15 goals a season for Newcastle United, or would you rather just have them two memories? I would trade it in for Hatton to be as consistent as his ability allowed him to be. I mean, you can see players who sweat for Newcastle United and do a magnificent job. I mean, I'm plucking a name out the air just as we talk. Rondon was like that at Newcastle. He sweated blood and he got every drip of ability out of him. But he was never going to sashay past four defenders, tuck it up his trouser leg, flip it over the, his head and bury it in the far corner because he didn't have that ability. Hatton Ben Arthur had that ability and therefore you want to see it more often. I mean, to be truthful, if he'd done it all... But again, as I've said, if he'd done it all the time, he would have been sold at Newcastle to one of the clubs that was in the Champions League. Um, but he wasn't as good as that. But you look at people and you think, Peter Beardsley did what Hatton Ben Arthur did in that cup tie. Peter Beardsley, but he did it all the time. Peter Beardsley produced a consistency to go with ability. This guy had ability and was so flashes of it like that. I treasure them, but I half wish. Why do I wish? Not only for his sake, but because my club would have been better off if he had consistently produced what he was capable of producing. From one Frenchman to another then, David Ginola, <laughs> who is arguably the most loved Frenchman of Newcastle United. And this goal is one which will just stand the test of time because it is an absolute brilliant goal. For me, and I know this is your list, John, this potentially yes. would have been a bit high, actually, in my list. Yes. Um, it is the goal in the UEFA Cup against... Very, I can't even say... I always get the name wrong. Do you want to, do you want to pronounce it? Frank Vargas. I'll take that. That's I think it. you might have got it. We'll, we'll, we'll take that. The Hungarian <laughs> side will say that. <laughs> um, yeah, just explain this one to our listeners. Well, Ginola was... A wonderfully elegant footballer, wasn't he? Everything about him oozed class. He could have been a model on the, the catwalks of, of Europe. He could have been a film star, but he was a super, super footballer. 
and I always remember when he come to Newcastle. I mean, he looked apart. Yeah, you, you know, he, he dropped down, go dropped dead gorgeous. Even guys thought that if guys, guys wanted to look like him and girls wanted to go out with him because that's the way Ginola was. And I always remember in those days I used to smoke. I give them up after the Sydney Olympics. Uh, but in those days when he came, I used to smoke, and I, I was going to interview him the day after he arrived at St James's Park, one on one for one of my face-to-faces. How was your French? His English was smashing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it that way. His English was good. But I went there and he looked elegant, come in with um, tracksuit uh, bottoms on, which were pulled up to the knees. Uh, the hair was flowing. He had a, a, a big handbag, if you like, man's bag with him, strode into the, to the reception at St. James's, said there, just could you open one of the private boxes he wasn't going to just stand in a corner and be interviewed by me open one of the private boxes I'll go in a private box I'm just doing an interview could you bring some coffee up please I'll have a and and you know and nobody took offense they, because it was Ginola and because he looked so wonderful and he was so courteous and he got up there and he unzipped his, his bag and said just before we start uh, John may I call you John I said yeah yeah sure and he produced these elegant French cigarettes, which looked about six foot long with with um, filter on the end, and I smoked and said, but I would never smoke in the presence of a footballer because I didn't want to smoke. But he said, you don't mind if I have one of these? Would you like? I thought this guy's for me. He can play. He looks like he looks. He can play, and he's a smoker. Come on, get this boy into Newcastle and let him do the job. And um, this particular goal, he. he We'd already beaten Manchester United 5 now, and um, we will be talking about that later on. Uh, it was 96-97, and um, he created havoc with Gary Neville, and I always rather liked that because he, he was a gobby little so-and-so, was Gary Neville. He was a good player, but he was a gobby little bugger, and he's made a, a living out of being gobby since on the telly, and good for him. He's, he's entertaining, but... You know, he, he'd taken Gary Neville to the cleaners in that match. We won 5 0. Um, and in that campaign, Ginola only scored twice for us, and once was in that 5 0 game. And the second one came just three days after playing against Manchester United. And it was against Frank Vargas <laughs> uh, in the UEFA Cup. And it was a volley that. I mean, he brought it down on his right thigh. He brought the, do- the ball down on his right thigh, flicked it over his marker, a la uh, Gascoigne when he did it for England against Scotland with Colin Henry at Wembley. Fl- on his thigh, flick over his marker and, and volleyed it with his left foot and it just flew, clipped right in the corner. And, you know, he almost, you felt he didn't sweat, there wasn't a hair out of place, it was total elegance. It was a complete blur of movement. And you just thought, oh dear. Now, was that bad defending? The, def- the marksman that got flicked? Um, let's put it this way. He didn't stop him. But I think it, I think that it was quality, quality from a, a quality player. And um, it was sad the way he, he left Newcastle in the end because it was part of the disintegration of Newcastle was when all the players were sold off. And the, the awful thing with that is KK had... Barcelona were in for, for 
Genola. And Barca, even in those days, were Barca. You know, they had emerged to take over from Real Madrid as these side every neutral wanted to watch. And they came, and of course they would like Ginola. All elegance, all flicks and flurries and long hair and class and etc. etc. Um, and KK said to him, no, you, you don't want to go there. You want to stay with We are building some. Bear in mind, Newcastle went from the, almost in the third division, the second top. If, if, if the Premier League runners up to, to Man U, you stay here. This is going to, we're going to be something special. And he persuaded Ginola to stay. He turned down Barcelona, he stayed, and within six months, KK himself had taken to his toes halfway through the following season and left Newcastle, and the whole thing started to disintegrate. And Ginola, and this isn't to his credit whatsoever, virtually didn't kick another ball for us. He, he was so disillusioned, he was willing to stay and see Newcastle win a title, Um but if he was going to turn down Barca, he didn't expect Keegan, the man that persuaded him to stay because it was worse to him, to leave. Uh, and he did. And um, the disintegration of Newcastle United happened from there and we lost all the impetus where we could have gone on and won the title and the whole history of Newcastle would have been changed. But great to have this goal as a memory oh. of what he can produce because he was he remains one of the finest players Newcastle have, have had in, in recent decades. And like you say, that goal... It's just one of my most favourite because the skill that it takes, and you've got oh. to, but you've got to remain calm and you've got to have that you know the brain to, to know what you're doing in that instance. And it, I, I just when every time I watch it, it just leaves me absolutely amazed because it's it's so quick and everything about it's just absolutely brilliant. Well, I'll swear that David Ginola never sweated. You know, he never had a drop of sweat on his forehead because it might have misplaced these curls or or whatever. He was. It was the epitome of elegance. Peter Beardsley was as elegant as you can get on the football field, but with respect to Peter, who uh, adores a footballer, he wasn't as elegant off the pitch as David Ginola was. He was the epitome of the French star. Love God, if you like. He, he looked everything right about him. And went on and proved it at Spurs and etc. 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 Only thing that was amazing was that you know he never played for France when he was uh, with Newcastle after that huge fallout when um, he gave the ball away and they didn't make the World Cup I think. Um, but you see, with quality players, they're gonna give the ball away sometimes, and. Ginola is going to give the ball away, but what he's also going to do is what we've just described, and he's going to do that regularly. So you've got to take the minuses with the pluses. One hundred percent, and it's almost like we've planned it there. You've mentioned Peter Beardsley, and he yeah. is the next man on our list. A goal against Brighton. Now, for younger viewers, I do recommend you go onto YouTube and you pop this in, and you take a moment to watch it because this again is it's a goal very different to the ones you mentioned. But it just it sums up Peter Beardsley in many ways, but also it is just one of the finest Newcastle United goals I think we will ever see. I'll let John describe yeah, what happens. Absolutely. And Beardo, what a player. What a quality player. I mean, this kid had everything. You know, normally you get a finisher and that's all he does. That's his job. It's Andy Cole, it's Alan Shearer, it's Les Ferdinand, it's Superman. And then you get a creator that's wonderful and that's 
Terry Hibbert or it's Tony Green or, or it's Paul Gascoigne. But this guy was both those. He was the creator and the finisher all in one package. And staggering. And he was a Geordie, for goodness sake. So we can be proud of him for two reasons. I mean, my when I was a kid, the, the two people that I loved in life away from football was Marilyn Monroe and Elvis Presley. And Marilyn Monroe was my dream woman and Elvis Presley was my dream rock and roller and I was brought up in the rock and roll area. And both of them had a terrific wiggle. But they hadn't the wiggle that Peter Beardsley had. When he shook his hips, everybody went for a coffee. Yeah, when he shook his hips, everybody went right and he went left. Uh, and he had that ability time and time again. And in this game, he, he seemed to know that it was a drama game and produced something extra special on special occasions. And this was... Uh, the last game, 83-84 season, Brighton had come up here. It was the farewell match of Kevin Keegan. We had clinched promotion with this wonderful front three of Keegan, Waddle and Beardsley. They've played without a centre-forward. You think of those three players, Andrew. There's not an orthodox centre-forward amongst them. They played without a centre-forward. They interchanged. There was so much ability in each one of those players that they were astounding. And to be truthful, they lifted Newcastle to promotion because the rest of the team, with respect, and there was some good operators in it, but it was an average side. It wasn't a great side. And these three just turned it into a great side. So it's the last day. Promotion's already been clinched and we know Keegan's retiring because he'd announced on February the 14th, St. Valentine's Day, which just happened to be his birthday, that he was retiring. Did he have a touch of the, uh, the drama about him as well? Uh, so we knew it was going to happen. It was a special stage. And Beardo, he won the ball in a challenge. He played a 1-2 with, with KK, uh, taking the running on beautifully, taking the return. He knew Keegan loved, Keegan had asked to play with, at Newcastle with somebody with a great touch. And Newcastle got rid of Ray Verardi because he didn't have a touch and brought in Beardsley because he did have a touch. So he was a delight for KK and KK knew what Beardsley was going to do and, and vice versa. Beardsley won the ball in the challenge. He played a 1-2 with KK, uh, who the understanding between the two of them was fabulous. Uh, claimed the return with the extravagant pullback when sliding on the floor rose from the pullback and clipped a floating ball over a stranded keeper in the back of the net. That had everything that a matador has with a cape with the bull charging at him. He was absolute quick thinking and ice-cold veins. And it was wonderful. Epitomised the guy and the great occasion, the farewell to Kevin Keegan, his big mate. Uh, we'll meet again because they did meet again because when KK become manager the first thing he did was want to sign Beardsley even though he was by now in his 30s because he knew that he had a little imp as somebody special or my little gem as Bobby Robson called him when Bobby Robson was the England manager um, and Beardo was that good and that just epitomised and as you say younger listeners please go have a look at it and watch the old Ole, because this guy could have been a matador in Spain, Beardsley with the cape.
we, we could do an episode on the top 10 Peter Beardsley goals to oh, be yeah yeah oh I mean he he, he, he didn't score tappings he didn't want to tap it. If there was going to be a tapping, he would have took the ball all the way along the, the goal line, flicked it up with his instep onto the post and headed the rebound into the net. He wouldn't do a tapping. It was, it was boring. Well, on to the next one. And in many ways, the next chapman we're going to mention fits that description there. Didn't really do tappings, did Papi SCC. The goals he seemed no. to score were unbelievable and he's probably another one where we could do a top 10 Papi Assisi episode you've gone for the one against Chelsea and he seemed to score John his best goals against Chelsea he loved scoring goals against yeah. Chelsea yeah yeah. and this one is arguably though is his best one he scored for Newcastle oh I think without a shadow of a doubt I mean anybody would have been proud of that I mean Ronaldo Messi any of the if the guys who get World Player of the Year would have loved that goal. It was at Chelsea, as we know, in May 2012. 2-0 uh, victory, which was sensational in its own right, and he got both the goals. But it was the second one that was the real jaw-dropper. Uh, Ryan Taylor heaved a long throw down the touchline. Sholam Yobi chested it into the path of Sissi, who didn't break his stride at all. He was 26 yards out, and he hit, if you remember, an outrageous banana shot with the outside of his foot that swerved nine yards from wide left to go in the top right-hand corner past Peter Cech, who was a fair old goalkeeper. It was clocked at 55 miles an hour, and it went from one side of the goal, the swerve on it, to go in the other side. I mean, it was sensational. Somebody had the audacity to say at the time, did he mean that? And that was the stupidest thing to say because what did the guy think it was? A cross? There was nobody up there and centre-forwards like Sissi didn't cross the ball, they finished. Andy Cole did that, Shearer did that. You only crossed when you had to. That wasn't a cross, it was an outrageous shot. And yes, everything had to go right. He had to catch it perfectly to get the swerve on it. He intended to do what he did. But how he did it from tight on the touchline with Schola just dropping it down with his chest was quite phenomenal. And it was one of those gawk moments where when it went in, there was silence for a split second while the whole crowd, including the Chelsea fans, thought, what have I just seen? What, what happened there? You know, you had to see the replay again because you wanted to make certain that your eyes hadn't fooled you. There's a clip of Alan Pardew's reaction, who, of course, was Newcastle manager at that time, yes. and Drogba, who's on the pitch for Chelsea, and they just turn to each other, and Drogba even just blows his cheeks out because he can't quite believe what he's seen. I think that just sums that goal up because no yeah. one, apart from probably Cissé, could quite believe that that went in the back of the net. And he's going to have a wide smile on his face because while he meant it, that doesn't mean you've got to do every single part of that movement has got to be spot on for it to happen the way it happened. The slightest thing, swivel too far, hook it, not catch it with the outside the foot quite right, not put a swerve on it. Anything that's slightly off and it isn't a goal and it was it was perfect. And then 
in a way, I guess he made a vote for his own back because we thought, what have we got here? What are we going to win with this guy centre-forward? Are we going to win Europe? We're going to win domestic cups? And, of course, like everything else, we didn't win anything. Bless him. Uh, but it was that was a farewell goal to be remembered by at Newcastle. And um, the next guy we're going to scored a farewell number of goals for me to be able to pick from. He did, Mr. Alan Shearer. And just before we get on to that, I just want to talk about CC because we're going to obviously in a moment talk about arguably the greatest number nine Newcastle United ever had. And yep. of course, there is an, another two to follow who may um, push Alan Shearer to that, that title in some people's minds. But CC, if you take away the likes of Jackie Milburn, Super Mac, Alan Shearer, um, where does CC rank in terms of the number nines who've come? you know, below them three? It's a very, very good question. And the wonderful thing is, it, it's just a matter of opinion. And every it, it when you give your opinion, it doesn't mean you're right. It just means that's what you believe. Another fan might believe something totally different. It is interesting. And I wouldn't put him in that next class because I would put people like Les Ferdinand in there, like Andy Cole in there, like for older listeners, people like, Len White and Albert Stubbins would be in there and, and George Robledo. And of the modern era of where we're talking about with Cissé, I thought a better all-round player in finisher was Denver Ball. Mm. Um, so he scored outrageous goals, Cissé. Uh, but Supermac always used to tell me, you know, that he didn't know the um, offside rule because he would stand as if he was waiting for a taxi offside for 10 minutes before the ball come to him and then get whistled up for offside. Yeah, I um, heard that. So uh, Supermac got frustrated and said, did anybody teach puppies the, the offside rule before he come to Newcastle? He was lovely. He was a lovely kid, which we liked. The big smile on the face, the Joe, the way Joe Willock was last season when he was scoring on loan, you know, you, you warmed to the guy. Where Miggy is, usually, all the time. Yes, yes. Um, but but uh, uh, I mean, I thought him and Denver Bar overlapped, as as you well know. And there was always there was always the case of who plays centre forward and who plays out and that, wide. That was the issue, wasn't it? At the end, they tried to Correct. force it, and one ended up on the wing. Tried to force one of them on the wing, and uh, instead of two through the middle. But I thought the better all-round line leader was Denver Bar. Well, I think I've mentioned in previous episodes when we've talked about goals or strikers. For me. One of the goals Denver Bar scored would definitely be in my list of the top ten. It was the one against Redden. It was a pass from Teoti, and it comes over his shoulder and he hits it on the volley just inside the box, into the corner. For me, one of my most favourite Newcastle United goals I've ever seen. And that would be high upon oh, my I list. I mean, I could do another list next week for you of ten great goals, and there would, with none of these because there is ten yeah. others. And there's. You think that there's not more Supermac goals than one? There's not more Shearer goals than well, one? I, or Jackie Milburn? I, I um, applaud your efforts of just getting um, one goal from each of these gents and one goal from the next gentleman that we're going to mention it is Alan Shearer. And for many people, it's no surprise that the one goal Gibbo has put into this list is the one against Everton. And, and, and interestingly, the goal we've just spoken about there with Cissé, an assist from Shola Amiobi and... This one as well, an assist from Shola Amiobi. He seems to be just in amongst all the the, the best goals. I mean, he was involved <laughs> in Shiro's record-breaking goal as well for Newcastle. Yeah, he's he, he's got his name in history with the the assists. 
he has, but he was supposed to score. Um, <laughs> and he did that in fairness to him to a certain extent. And by Jove, we, you know, we've criticised, we being Geordies, I don't mean me and you, uh, but Geordies have criticised Shola and the time massively and we can understand to a certain extent why. But when you see Newcastle United having to play without Callum Wilson and see how they stagger through games with no goals, then Shola looks a slightly better player than perhaps he's given credit for. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Alan Shearer, 206 goals for Newcastle. And Gibbo's got to pick one? I mean, dear me. But yet, you know, look at it another way. Alan Shearer scored critical goals rather than outlandish goals. He was the most reliable finisher you could get. He was a, a predator in the penalty area. But those sort of guys, and you look at, to a certain extent, you look at Andy Cole, you certainly look at George Robledo in the 50s side that won the Cup three times. They didn't score outstanding individual goals. You wouldn't see Alan Shearer do a hat and Ben Arthur when he scored that goal. That is not his style. But by Jove, he's the guy you want in the penalty area because he finishes in the games about goals. And you know, when you score, when Adam Ben Arthur scored the goal he scored, beating four guys and swivelling and putting it from an impossible angle, it's one goal towards a match. If you put it in from six inches, it's one goal. You don't get extra marks for the goal being pretty. It, a goal is a goal is a goal, and this was the master scorer, Alan Shearer. Uh, but this goal was extra special. Uh, uh, as we know, it was Everton, it was 2011. Uh, the match had been so average as to be untrue. You know, uh, you could have almost perhaps gone to sleep and what a shame that would have been if you'd missed this. And there was only there was only six minutes left when it happened. Uh, a diagonal ball was lofted in by Lohan Robert, uh, a useful winger on his day. Another Hatton Ben Arthur type guy, did he produce everything that his ability uh, promised? Uh, maybe not, but on days he, he, he painted a lovely picture. Um, but he lofted a ball up to the target man who was Shola Amiobi. He His knockdown was coming, dropping beautiful for Shearer. And um, I talked to Alan afterwards and he said the volley was, he admitted the volley was one in a hundred. It's a difficult technique, he said. I saw it coming out of the sky as well, um, 25 yards out. Got to catch it sweet. If you don't catch it sweet, you're not going to beat the keeper from where he was. And it was it's a it is a difficult one. It's coming out the sky, it's a volley, the ball's high, you've gotta time it perfectly. Alan timed this one perfectly and it flew in and nearly ripped it back. I'm certain if there hadn't been a net there, the the ball would have gone straight over the tine and in a way down the A one. Uh it was hit so thunderously and it was the one hand the one armed salute from Shearer that become so wonderful and um so typical of him, never mind this sliding on the knees now towards leaving scrape marks towards the corner flag and kissing the badge. And uh, he was a man's man, he put his hand up in the air and said, It's in the back of the net and ran back to the halfway line. I always remember the commentator saying it was always going to take something special to beat Richard Wright because Newcastle had been up against it at that point in the end, oh, yes, yes, and going on to win that game, didn't they? Um, mm. You know, they had struggled against Everton and, and Richard Wright had pulled off some 
fantastic saves. And that's the that's the thing I always remember when you watch it back is, is the words of the the commentator. But just what what a strike! I mean, it's again I've said this about quite a few goals on this list. When you do watch it back, you just sit there in absolute amazement. Of course, and uh, what that goal was was I like the goals that epitomise the scorer. Hatton Ben Arthur wriggles past four people, chips in the corner. It's all about class. It's about ability. Peter Beardsley, the audacious pullback when he could have had an orthodox shot at goal, <coughs> an Ole moment. He, he's the matador with the cape and the bulls way out the back, and he puts it in. That epitomises what Beardsley can do. This epitomised Shearer. It was power. The power was huge. He ripped the the casing off the ball, uh, and that's what this guy was. He had thighs like tree trunks. Uh, you didn't shoulder charge him, you bounced off him. Yeah, that's how good she He was, I said, he was the last of the traditional old-fashioned English bulldog centre-forwards. And that is all meant as a huge compliment. He was the great line leader uh, of his time. And he didn't have to be fancy. There was Gascoigne in the side, there was... Whoever was in the side, they were, when he captained England, there was plenty of fancy dance behind them. Let them do the shimmy and the shake. He had a dagger and he operated in the back lane of football, the six-yard box, certainly the penalty area, where it's a back alley and you, you need a knife to claw your way through. And he was that, and he was a master at it. And... We're going to wait an awful long time to see somebody like him in a black and white shirt again. That's why we appreciate him so much. Yeah, for sure. I know you purposely picked only one goal from each player. Yeah. But if you were going to pick, you know, more goals from Alan Shearer, would any make them into your, your top 10? If you didn't put any restrictions on yourself, would you have picked more Alan Shearer goals to make it <laughs> well, in the top 10? I said there was always great goals and memorable goals were always memorable for one of two reasons. One was either the sheer audacity of the way the goal was scored or the sheer importance of the goal, like Monkers uh, in the turn to final of the European First Cup and won a European trophy, and it did turn it. Uh, so there's those reasons. And I always remember, you know, with Newcastle, I was brought up on the FA Cup when the FA Cup was something, I'm talking about being a kid, when the FA Cup was something extra extra special much more than it is these days i mean you know on on wembley day and then i used to get up at 10 o'clock in the morning and sit in front of the telly and it was uninterrupted cup final until six o'clock at night where after they'd run around wembley with the cup it was uninterrupted that day's play there was as much as that on the day and um so getting to wembley we talked after the 50s when newcastle dominated wembley I always love to remember how we got to Wembley because I don't like remembering Wembley because we never won there again. But I used to remember how we got there. And <clears throat> I remember, and the greatest adulation you have, you know, Andrew, is seeing the team win in a semi final because your dreams come true. You're going to Wembley. 
you've got the fruition of whatever happens we played in the cup final that year wonderful and so winning a semi-final is a magical moment and I was at both the semi-finals when Shearer scored the goals at the end of the 90s that took us to Wembley and they were typical they were typically scored and we walked with both hands up high in front of the crowd strutted I'm your main man. You knew I was going to do it, didn't you? When I've done it, we're all off to Wembley, lads. And and those those goals stand out for me, much as much for the importance of them as for the the sheer audacity of them. We talk about that. I mean, that goal against Spurs was absolutely brilliant. Shiro often mentions when he talks about the fact that that stand was actually moving. He says his family was in it, and yep. it was a superb strike. And of course, as everyone who listens to these podcasts knows. My favourite Alan Shearer goal is the one against Chelsea. Me and John have debated it many times. Mm. Um, you know, the one where he just turns Desai inside out and hits at the top corner. But yes, this one against Everton, I understand it is um, probably the one that stands out for most. And I think it is Alan's favourite goal as well, if I'm not mistaken, that he scored. Uh, yes, I believe it is. I believe it is. Yes. Um, just before we get on to the final three, just a reminder to please like and follow the podcast, which is <laughs> totally free to do. It just means with every episode we upload, you'll get a notification to say it's ready to be downloaded for you guys or to listen to. And please leave a rating and review. You can do that on Spotify now and share the podcast amongst your Newcastle United supporting friends and family. I think actually, John, before we run down into the final three, I'll, we, I'll just recap the, the ones we've gone down yeah. so far. So we have Bob Moncur in the second leg of the Fairs Cup. We have uh, Chick Teoti against Arsenal in at number nine. Hatton Ben Arthur's mazy little run against Blackburn in the FA Cup. David Ginola in the UEFA Cup. We'll not mention the name because both me and John... Hungarian side, I yes, believe. we both get it wrong. Um, <laughs> Peter Beardsley against Brighton and then Pat Assisi's wonder strike against Chelsea with the outside of his foot. Uh, Alan Shearer, as we've just spoken there, against Everton. And now on to the third in our list and it comes from Jackie Milburn. You've just mentioned there, loving the FA Cup, John. Yeah. Well, this goal uh, was, you know, the 1951 final yeah. against Blackpool. Yeah. Uh, I fell in love with the FA Cup and I've done the goals on I, on goals I've seen in my lifetime, not trying to get a, a Huey Gallagher one, which is on YouTube and you can hardly see the guy because it was 1927 or something. And I was a little Ben when this was scored. Uh, sitting at Mandy Grace's watching it on television, a little black and white thing that uh, the postage stamp was bigger than the telly. Uh, but Milburn just leapt out of the telly. And the wonderful thing about it was that he'd become a dear, dear friend of mine afterwards. Uh, never meet your heroes, I say. Well, I met my schoolboy hero, and he was as wonderful as he had been in my eyes when I was eight, nine-year-old. Um, <clears throat> and I talked to him about this afterwards because I wrote two or three books with Jackie, uh, Jackie Milburn scrapbook, etc., etc., and this was the 1951 final against Blackpool, and he scored twice. They won two 0 and there were so different goals. And the second one <coughs> can be taken for a totally different reason as well, um, as as a great goal. And if I did another ten, I would probably take that <laughs> one as one of that ten. Um, but this one. I, I talked to him about it afterwards. It was the, the first Newcastle's first goal in the 51 final. And I asked him to talk to me about it. You know, like you said, uh, I wonder what goes through people's minds when, you know, when there's time to think. 
great goal scorers scoring great goals and I said to him what about this what about this goal and the other one and he said well this was a goal for a connoisseur he said and he described it thus he said 10 minutes into the second half Blackpool had a pre-match plan that was absolutely shattered at that moment they decided to keep two defenders between him and the goal during the whole game to cut down on his speed because on the counter-attack he, he was so so quick his initials were Jet Jackie Edward Thompson and by the way was was that appropriate for this guy so but they were pressing an attack and so Eric Hayward was left on his own with Jackie instead of there being two men there to counteract there was one of them uh, he said George Robledo whipped the ball to me inside my own half and I was off like the wind he said when you're doing that you've got too much he was running from the halfway line into their penalty area he said and really you have too much time to think you think the whole world's chasing you you can't see what's happening behind you but you know that for certain they're not just going to be letting you go so you're, th you're you're waiting for the breath to be on the back of your neck and this can panic you into finishing badly which is what we've seen time and time again uh, he had to run something like 40 yards on his own I knew and he knew nobody's going to catch him because he was like the wind but the thing was stay cool stay cool stay cool clinical finish uh, he says he saw George from the, the, the Blackpool goalkeeper begin to leave his goal which he had to do of course as Milburn was run through but Jackie says he made a fatal mistake on his angles and I could see a gap to his right he, he said in the minute I saw that I thought I just finished I just finished and if you watch his goal he sees the gap boom and he turns away before the ball's passed from he, t he knows it's a goal he turns away to run back to the to the halfway line he knew it was in great goal scorers know that and you know what was funny the way it's different Andrew to today he wasn't swamped by Newcastle teammates and two of their greatest players Stan Mortensen who was born in South Shields and played centre forward for Blackpool and played centre forward for England and Stanley Matthews whose final it was supposed to be the only medal he didn't have was a final went over and shook Jackie's hand and said great goal before Blackpool kicked off again can you imagine that today I no. don't think so and watching back this this goal I did this for the research in the moments before Milburn was played through Blackpool really should have scored because Matthews got down the right yeah. um, to the byline the defence moved towards the goal and in the penalty box was just space and there was about two def uh, two uh, Blackpool players there and he pulls it back to Matthews and Newcastle's look the players just totally aren't there the pass doesn't get to them Robledo breaks and plays Mill because the fine margins there because that should have been a Blackpool goal in my opinion yeah uh, yes Jack Fairbrother would have saved him <laughs> uh, he was a good keeper was Jack uh, he would have saved him but yes I know exactly what you're saying but football is fine margin yeah. and it was a fine margin Jackie Milburn could easily have missed that never in doubt not with Jack 
But I can I could name you, and I'm not about to by the way. <laughs> but I could name you twenty Newcastle centre forwards that would have missed that. Uh, absolutely no. Qu- and you know, and you know why they would have missed it because there was too much time between the halfway line and getting to the edge of the penalty area. Too much time to think. You men, you mentioned it was the Stanley Matthews final. Effectively, that's what it was known as, wasn't it? Did you? Um, we don't want to d- delve on this too much, but did you think it? it was slightly disrespectful to Newcastle the way the media covered it because watching the highlights back, the commentary, it's all about Stanley Matthews. Well, of course, it, it was all about getting his his medal that he hadn't had because it was a big deal, the FA Cup, as I said in those days. Much bigger deal than it is now. And it, it, yes, it was disrespectful, but I think what was more disrespectful, Andrew, is when he did get his medal, um, Stanley Matthews, when he did get his medal... A little lad from South Shields called Stan Mortensen scored a hat-trick. Blackpool won 4-3. Mortensen scores a hat-trick. And the guy that put up on the shoulders and marched around Wembley is Stanley Matthews. And it's called the Matthews final, that one, because it was the one he won. And it was, at that time, he was the only bloke that ever scored a hat-trick in a, in a FA Cup final. He scored a hat trick. He was from South Shields, so I was a bit biased on you, Stan, and he was a lovely, lovely man. And uh, what's he think the rest of his life? I scored a hat trick in the final to win the FA Cup when we were going to lose it, to win 4 3. And it's my outside right that gets all the headlines to this day. It's a Matthews final. Excuse me, did Matthews score? No. Uh, did somebody get a hat trick in that game? Well, yes, actually. But it's not his final. And a and, uh, hat trick was unique at that time in the FA Cup final. So, yes, but there was an obsession with Stanley Matthews in those days. You can learn more about Stan in one of our previous episodes. We did the, the list of the top 10 Geordies who never actually played for Newcastle United. Maybe some went through the youth system, didn't make it at Newcastle and, and, and what have you. And Stan is in there alongside the likes of Michael Carrick and, and other names who ha- went on to have very successful careers in the game. On to number two then, the runner-up in this list, and it is a goal from Supermark. And it is one, John, which you actually introduced me to, and then I went and spoke to Malcolm a couple of years ago about this, and when I, I did a story about it, it is... The greatest goal, greatest Newcastle United goal, you've probably never seen because you had to be actually at St James's Park. Yes, to it's see not it. on film. In, the, in those days, every, nowadays, every Premier League match is filmed for match of the day. So the whole match is is there somewhere on YouTube or whatever. And but in those days. Tyne Tees just covered one match up here. And by the way, it wasn't always Newcastle, although because they, they were committed through contract to cover Hartlepool and um, Darlington, who were in the Football League, as well as Sunderland and Middlesbrough. Uh, and so a lot of the matches weren't on record. Now, again, with Supermac, I mean, you could fill Supermac's top 10 goals and still leave out one of the best goals you've ever seen in your life because it was that easy. And when you... Talk about importance of goals. You you think of Supermax hat-trick at home to Liverpool, home debut for Newcastle, and then carried off on his sword, uh, on his shield. You know, And then you look at the two semi-final goals um, against Burnley that took with a Wembley in 74. Massive, massive goals. But this one, it was August of, of 75, and... Um, I chose it because A, I was there and saw it and, and, 
a lot of people didn't. And B, supermarket never fails to keep telling me how it's his favourite goal. And so that is going to sway you too. Uh, the interesting thing is, as you rightly say, you can term it the goal it never was, the goal that was never seen. Yet, I'll swear over the years that there was 125,000 people at that <laughs> game because everybody I meet with Supermac when we go around the northeast doing gigs saw his goal against Leicester. And if that was possible, there must be the world, world record of 10 at St James's Park for a, a, a first division game because there must have been 125,000 there. Well, we had Supermac on in the previous episode of Gibbos Corner. It was the Christmas special and he talks about that goal. And he talks us through it. And um, he mentions Irvin Natris yeah. uh, as, as a player who, you know, once he gets across the halfway line, John, he seems to lose a bit of confidence. And he's the one that, that, that sets the ball up for him. Yeah. Um, just talk our listeners through it. Well, we, we were defending the corner. I mean, you know, that's how good the goal was. You go from defending the corner to scoring in a split second. Uh, we were defending a corner uh, at the Gallagher end. Uh, the corner was cleared by Paddy Howard and dropped to the feet of Irving Nat. Irving Nat was now. Nat was a good friend of mine. He was he was godfather to one of my girls. Um, one of the greatest Newcastle players, talking off the top of my head, along with Pop Robson, never to get a full England cap. An absolute disgrace. He was so so talented. One of the reasons why he didn't get an England cap was because he could play in every position and did for Newcastle. He played right back, he played left back, he, he played one of the two centre-halves, he played defensive midfield, he played attacking midfield. Um, he was too versatile for his own good. Paul Madeley at Leeds was a bit like that. He did play for England, but never got as many caps as he ought to have done because he didn't hold down one position, which you could make your own at Newcastle and therefore with the national side. Nat was so talented, it was untrue. Uh I think uh, I, I think Soups was a bit uh, harsh on him, saying when he crossed the halfway line. I think uh, he got him a bit mixed up with Frank Clark there, because Frank never crossed the halfway line. Uh, but I know the point he makes. Uh, he wasn't going to be a finisher, but he broke. And the good thing with me with that, because he had that ability, you knew he would find Supermac. I knew, so he did. He would find Supermac with the ball, and you know he, he came, he came, controlled it, and as he was moving towards the halfway line. Soups, who had been up defending the corner, got on his bike, and by the way, he didn't need a bike, he was that quick. He, you know, he, he was like uh, Jackie Milburn in the old days, not like Shearer, who, who, with respect, the only thing Alan Shearer didn't have was pace. Uh, he had bucket loads of pace. He was steaming up. Now, the good thing that did, there was... They, Leicester only put one def one guy back to defend their line. And he was caught standing between Natris, who was on his right, and Supermac comes tearing up on his left. And he didn't know whether to stick or twist. He didn't know if to close down Nat or go with the runner and wait for Nat's pass. He didn't either. He stood in the middle. And Nat rolled it to Supermac, who just took it in his stride and saw the goalkeeper and hit this shot. I mean, that only he could. He had a, it was like a kick of a mule. He, he, he had so much venom in his shot and it just lashed. It didn't even go on the top of the net because it, it, it was just like an arrow and just ripped the back of the net off. The goalkeeper was 
still into his dive when the ball come past him again from the back of the net out of the goal it was absolutely stupendous uh, Mark Wallington was the poor guy that was tucked up in goal um, and it's not on record I mean I've got framed at home stuck in the wardrobe soups give me it was the picture of him striking the ball where it's going past the keeper into the net and one of him with his arms round Nat celebrating the goal signed by um, signed by Superman and it's a bit of a collector's item because it was the goal that nobody saw only trouble is everybody saw it but it was really in their dreams because it's not <laughs> on and it, it it's a shame for Supermac because um, it's not something you can stick on the telly again and, and look at it again but I've only got to close my eyes to see it well that, that's the point I was going to make it shows you how brilliant it was when you're hearing it or the younger generation are hearing it passed down either the grandparents or their father what have you yeah. you know that shows it, no one's been able to relive it like you say, you can only do it when you, you close your eyes and you see it in your own mind. But to, for people to keep telling this story so many decades after, it, sh it just reaffirms what a brilliant goal it was. Oh, with, without a shadow of doubt. And a, a brilliant goal amongst so many brilliant goals. Because I mentioned these semi-final goals where he carried Colin Waldron on his back. He was that strong to, to finish and take Newcastle to Wembley. The second of his three goals against Liverpool on his home debut when he swivelled under a heavy ball and lashed it in the top corner. An FA Cup tie at Bolton of no particular consequence, um, or it might have been League Cup, uh, because we played them in both in that season. And throw in, taken onto his wrong foot, he just turned and lashed it in the top corner put his hand up in the air and the whistle went for half time and he walked off and the whole ground just buzzed for the quarter of an hour of half time with all the Bolton fans said did he say that did he actually do that uh, one of those moments and there was so many of those with Supermac and with Jackie Milburn because they scored more spectacular goals than Alan Shearer they didn't score more goals for Newcastle than Alan Shearer and Alan Shearer is still the goal scorer supreme bar none and I, I got to say that, and uh, and the other two were very close friends of mine, Supermac and War Jackie. I'm a friend of, of, of Alan's, but if I've got to pick, then the greatest finisher was Supermac, was uh, Shiva rather than Supermac or or Jackie. But they scored spectacular goals because they were quick. It it wasn't because they had good feet like Beardsley or Adam Ben Arthur or Ginola, it's because they were quick. And quick people get you off your seat, don't they? When when they get the ball, you know something's going to happen and you're up there, Whoa, what's going to happen? What's going to Oh, ball in the back of the net. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. And these guys in Supermac was one of those guys. But what I find amusing about, um, about this list of 10, and I, I swear I didn't do it on purpose, but um, I said to myself, I've always loved the number nine legend because I'm a Geordie and we were born into a number nine legend, started off by Huey Gallagher way, way back. And so number nines are always, for me, the kings of the castle and always have been. Uh, and you get goal scorers, you think of all the attackers. They are the, the RAF boys, the glamour boys, the attackers. So my top goal scorer is a defender. 
and I think that's lovely. Mind when I tell you the goal, it's a different <laughs> kettle of fish, as you well know. But it's lovely that I've actually picked as the greatest goal I've seen from Newcastle United from a defender. And it's like bookends, isn't it? Because my 10th goal was Moncur, a defender, and my top goal is a defender. And in between are the super scorers of Shearer and uh, Supermac and Warjacky and the geniuses of Beardsley and Hatton Ben Arthur, etc. I'm wondering if those listening right now are just scratching their heads thinking, I wonder what it could be. <laughs> um, before we get to that, just a reminder that we did have Supermark on the last episode of Gibbo's Corner. So that should be below this one if you've searched Gibbo's Corner um, or you'll have to scroll down back to Christmas Day because it, it was released on Christmas Day and we, we spent more than an hour talking about his Newcastle United career, his exit, the goals he scored. It was a really nice episode. So do go back and listen to that if you haven't done. I think we'll go back through the previous nine before we mention Yes, number one, just to give people a little bit of a refresh. So, Bob Moncur in the second leg of the Fairs Cup final. Czech Tioti against Arsenal. Hatton Ben Arfa against Blackburn in the FA Cup. David Ginola in the UEFA Cup where he flicked it over the defender. Peter Beardsley against Brighton. Papier Sissé against Chelsea. Alan Shearer against Everton. Jackie Milburn's first in the 1951 FA Cup final against Blackpool. And as we've just mentioned there, Malcolm McDonald, Supermark against Leicester where the TV cameras were not. And it is a goal, though, that about 4 million people have seen, despite the fact only 50-odd <laughs> thousand could have seen it inside St. James's Park. And that leads us to the final goal on this list, the top goal on this list. And it is Philip Albert against Manchester United. It is. And to be truthful, the match stands out as much as him. If you can take your top 10 Gibbo matches of Newcastle United, and they would include the European Fairs Cup and they would include beating Barcelona 3-2 but it would right up there would be beating Manchester United 5-0 in 1996 because Alex Ferguson had a face like a well-smacked bum as you can imagine at the end of that game because he did not take to that too kindly at all and considering they twice denied us um, winning the Premier League title, and humiliated us at Wembley in the Charity Shield. This match is extra special, and it had everything. I mean, it started off with the scruffiest goal it's, it's all possible, which is Darren Peacock, and I don't think the, the ball had the strength to reach the back of the net. I think it just trickled over the line, and it finished up with a, a, a goal, the audacity and class just oozed out of us. And in between, we had... Great finishes like like Shearer and like Ferdinand scoring goals. So the whole game had everything. But if you're going to humiliate Manchester United, and it was the great Manchester United side, and we owed them a humiliation, they'd done it to us. If you're going to humiliate them, make it 5 0 and finish it. You don't start with the wonderful goal and finish it with Dan Peacock's scruffy goal. You finish it with a piece de resistance. And this goal was exactly that. I mean, Philip Albert had played centre-half, as you know, one of the two centre-halves. But he had the class to have played anywhere on the park. He had this sort of ability. If you wanted somebody to come out the back and use the ball well, which is the modern idiom that is essential in the sides that are taken by by Klopp or, or, or by Pep in Man City, then this guy's perfect for you. 
because he makes John Stones look like a cart horse and Stones is the modern day guy that comes out with a ball from the back. Makes mistakes, but still comes out with it well. This guy had the ability to do it and carried himself. He looked majestic in the in the way that he ran and the way that he walked. And um, I asked him, it was the chip, as you well know, against the greatest goalkeeper in the world because Peter Schmeichel at that time was the greatest goal scorer, no, greatest goalkeeper. Arguably, still the greatest yes, goalkeeper the Premier League ever seen. Without a shadow of doubt, and as good as his son is, he isn't a patch on his dad. His dad was, and his son is a good goalkeeper, but his dad was extra, extra special, Peter Schmeichel. And I still say, it cost Newcastle the title in the year with it when we'd done in twelve points because they won one nil at St James's Park and Cantona scored the winning goal. But Schmeichel played us on his own. He must have made seven world-class saves in that match and we lost 1-0. Broke our heart. It made them convinced when they got on the coach and went home that they could still win the title. And it was the first doubts put in our mind that perhaps we were going to blow the title. And it was Peter Schmeichel had done that. But I asked Albert about it and he said he noticed, he'd always noticed that Peter Schmeichel come off his line a lot. He liked to play almost as a sweeper. You know, you would anticipate. You look at Allison, or you you look at the at the um, the City goalkeeper and the Liverpool goalkeeper, the two Brazilians who are good with the ball at their feet. This guy used to like to play as a sweeper keeper, where he would come off his line and anticipate things before they happened. He said he noticed that he knew Michael did that, uh, and he he did it not only to act as a sweeper, but he then reduced the angles that he could be beaten at, because he narrowed the angles before. The person had the shot. He said he saw him when he got the ball. He looked up. He saw him coming off his line to do what he always did, which was narrow angles. And he thought, "We've won the game. It's four 0 I've got the ability. I'm going to be naughty. I'm going to be cheeky." And he chipped. He chipped it. And he said, "I thought, why not?" So he chipped it, and it just arched over the top of Michael, who stood there absolutely not petrified just unbelieving like can I I know where that ball's going and can I believe I've been beaten like that and do I need this um, and it was in the net and if you remember he just went on his knees with his hands up in the air and it was glorious not only was it the best piece of skill the whole day but it finished off the perfect match and the perfect result and Fergie, who I often admired as a manager, because how could you not do? But he looked like a, a well-smacked bum that day, and um, wore their uh, puce into the bargain. And it was a nice old feeling to beat a great Manchester United side, not beat them, humiliate them, and do it with one of the greatest goals you'll ever see. And from a centre-half incident. Mm. I mentioned commentary earlier in this podcast and the commentary of Martin Tyler that day stands out for me and he's, he says something along the lines, on a day they would have taken three, here they are looking for number five with Philip Albert and then he goes in, oh, uh, absolutely glorious and then uh, I think Andy Gray mentioned something about the, the, the icing on, on the cake or the cherry or what have you. Great pieces of commentary that, that just, you know, captured the moment and so being there at St. James' Park must have been some, something special. Um, and as we mentioned, you know, Philip Albert was, you know, he liked to score good oh. goals for Newcastle. He scored a couple against Man City, which uh, yeah. I think many people will remember as well. And he had quality. He had class. 
you know, people talk about Fabian Shaw can play on the ball and that. Do me, do me a favour. Please do not insult Philip Albert by talk, when you talk about people that can come out from the back and use the ball well because unfortunately or fortunately if you're my age you've lived long enough to see the gems Newcastle's had as well as the dross Newcastle have had and this guy was as good as you could get as a central defender now I think when some people listen to this podcast and they see Albert is top they might be slightly surprised when you sent through this list I wasn't expecting Albert to to even no. be in this list let alone top is it because, like you say, it's not just about the skill and the goal, but yeah. what it meant on the night as well? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, it when I said, why you pick goals? And it's either for the sheer class of the execution of the goal or the sheer drama of what the goal meant, like Moncur in the first cup final or Hatton Ben Arthur beating four guys and clipping it in the top corner. This amalgamated everything, everything, because the goal was outrageous. It was wonderful class. He knew what he was doing. It was against the greatest opposition possible, the champions of England, who were European champions, etc., etc., in that era. Our absolute tormentors that had denied us the ultimate, which was the first title from 1927, all those things came together and it was done by a bloke that wasn't supposed to do that sort of thing because he was a centre-off. Now, doesn't that just add to it even more? And if you talk to people that were there and talk to one, they mightn't pick him as the greatest goal, but they'll say, that was one of the most satisfying matches I ever saw. And what about Philip Albert with that finisher against Michael? So, yes, I didn't particularly want to do the obvious, because when I sat down, it was a matter of who gets the best goal. Is it Milburn, Shearer or Supermac? Because they're, they're the natural goal scorers. And if you're talking about natural goal scorers, they are the three best Newcastle United have had. But it's about more than that. And, and this, this, everything came together in this game. The opposition, the scoreline, the Ferguson factor and Philip Albert doing it. Not Alan Shearer, not Ferdinand, not Ginola, who were in this game. Philip Albert did it. And that, for me, is one of my wonderful moments where I can't see anything wrong with either the game or the goal. It, If I could die happy watching, I haven't watched Newcastle play in that game, probably have to, because I probably won't say anything like that again. Though... We all live in hope that new days are about to dawn. But uh, let's let's hope that if those new days do dawn, somebody in the future, and maybe even me, will produce ten goals, and the next three at the top will be ones that we are, we are yet to see. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It would be. Fingers crossed that does happen. Thank you guys for tuning in to the latest episode of Give Us Corner. Do get in touch via email. The email address is the E-I-B-W podcast at reachplc.com where we'd love to hear your top 10 Newcastle United goals and you can catch me over on Twitter as well as well as the Chronicle NUSC Twitter when I post this out. Do get into the comments and let us know how you feel about John's list, how you feel about anything we've spoken about today and any ideas as well for future episodes of Give Us Corner. We're opening up to you guys. We may even put another vote out in the near future and see what tops the list 
for the meantime, please remember to like and follow the podcast. And once again, thank you very much for tuning in.